This morning, I wanted to talk uh, a little bit about the uh, Ajahn Brahm retreat that we went to. So, uh, several of some people in the community, Dave, you were there, and Marty was there, and Kevin was there, and uh, and the uh, Bhante Amita and myself and Damika were there. I mean, among along with about two hundred other people, <laughs> and you had to go to school. So. <laughs> Um, and the reason I, w- I don't want to talk about his whole the whole day it was it was delightful and if you've read any of his or listened to him he's always he always tells funny stories to make his point and uh, it was a day of funny stories you know it was an Ajahn Brahm day and uh, we meditated in between the stories and I think I was thinking about the reason why he tells all of his humorous stories. One, they're to make a point. And they're, even his old stories, you know, he, he tells them over and over again. And I, I think some were new, some I had never heard before. But uh, that reinforces the point he's making, too. But I realized that yes, uh, Friday, we went on Friday. That was yesterday. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Get, get right back in place. Um, he's also, his personality is so uh, light-hearted, and he's so, uh, he presents a picture of a Buddhist monk or a Buddhist person who is really happy and joyful and not overly, I mean, he's a very serious monk. He's had a long, earnest uh a career as a monk, and he took a really hard path, being up in the jungles in Thailand with Ajahn Chah, uh, eating all the kind of food he talks about having to eat uh, to help rid himself. I mean, Ajahn Chah was a big, a serious, heavy-duty monk in the forest. So they talk about getting their food on, you know, from the people in the community, and then they would pour it all in one big pot and stir it all together, and they'd get a bowl of that. So it, it, uh, and it would be full of frogs and little lizards and things, like that's how the people got their protein. So, um, he, he, he did it. I mean, he's a true, uh, salt of the earth monk. I think he's done, he's done his time and, and done it well. And when he went to Australia, when he was sent to Australia with other monks, they had been given this huge piece of land, and they got there to build a monastery. But there was nothing there. I mean, they were sleeping on the ground in the Australian, I guess it's like a forest or a jungle or kind of halfway in between. And they they didn't know how to build a monastery, and they that was their task. And now it is this jewel of a monastery, I think, in the world. It's really... It's big, and it's it's. Uh, they started it. They put every every brick, every stone, every. He said the first thing he did was think, well, we have to clean up this sort of rough and tumble landscape. So he started cutting down things and getting rid of brush, and then making it all clean. And then he then he found out, no, that's how you're supposed to leave it. You're not. That's where. That's, you don't clean up all that stuff and make it pristine. That's where the animals live there, and that's part of... That's, so he, he kind of had to undo all of his cleaning up the landscape. 
So he's, he has done hard work as a monastic. And yet when you see him, I'm sure his life is easier now, but he travels all the time, so that's not easy. He is relaxed and happy, and uh, I was telling them in the car coming home, he's the only monk that I've ever seen who has a harder time keeping his robes on than I do. Because <laughs> his robes are, he's sitting there all day, and his robes are just kind of askance. I mean, his robes are sort of falling off of him, and uh, his t-shirt's sort of pulled up, and you can, you can, it's just, He's, but he's like a, a happy Buddha sitting there. And uh, uh, John, who's that we've all met, who's the director of programming and was a monk. They were monks together when they were younger. And John was trying to take off his microphone during when one of the breaks started. But he's also trying to put Ajahn's robes back on him. <laughs> and he doesn't care. I mean, it doesn't bother him at all. He jokes about it. But his robes are literally falling off of him as he's sitting there. And he just will occasionally throw something over him. So <laughs> he does have to get dressed when he gets up. Um, but he's happy. And I think at the end of the day, I thought, we didn't meditate a whole lot. But the 200 people in the room who came to see him probably knew that about him. Like, but I think he's, he was there to inspire us to be happy. That this path we're on is not supposed to be, okay, I'm the Buddhist in the group, I'm the serious one. You know, we can't have any fun because I'm a Buddhist. Um, it's, we're not supposed to be that way. And he talked about some of the reasons we can really be filled with joy. And I realized that's what he, that's what he is. He's like, he's someone who has done the work and he's still doing the work and he knows, he, he has found so much joy and lightness and happiness. So he talked a lot about, uh, and this ties into the precepts, so this is, of course, what I focused on. He talked about how virtue, and he talked about the precepts, just the five precepts, living those precepts, and living a virtuous life is so liberating because you have nothing to worry about. You know, if you drop dead the next second and a big truck runs you down, you have nothing to worry about unless, you, unless you're not dead and you need to have a lot of good insurance and you have to worry. <laughs> but if that truck runs you down and kills you, there's nothing to worry about. We don't have to be afraid. And he said, he talked about how powerful fear is in our lives. You know, we're afraid of, we're afraid of what's going to happen. We're afraid of something catching up with us. We're afraid of so many things. But if you live that, if you live a virtuous life, it doesn't mean you become boring and you become, uh, you know, kind of a miserable person. It, it can be joyful and liberating. And he said, there's nothing more wonderful than being with virtuous people. If your friends are virtuous people, you trust them, you enjoy being with them, you aren't afraid of anything they might do to you. You know, you, you're liberated inside and outside. And, uh, and I think he's an embodiment of that. And he's, he's aware of probably that image 
that a lot of people have about, you know, Buddhists are all about suffering, right? And maybe the end of suffering, but they're more about suffering. And the kind of, uh, and, and I think he's, he's here, he's here to tell, he can lighten up. So when he teaches meditation, it's very simple. His instructions are just now close your eyes, you know, and breathe. And that's about it. And, and I'm sure he would, with a student, he continues and goes forward and there's lots more. We just had one day with him. But I think his, um, it, it was really, it was really good to kind of get that from him for me to see this whole path can be full of joy. Because we're never being asked to do anything that's, that we don't agree with. You know, anything, if, it, if you're ever asked to do anything or told to do anything here, you should be very suspicious of the person who tells you that. But it should be a path where people who have found that it works, that the things that they've, uh, that they've experienced following this path have worked for them, those are, those are, they're, they're sharing that. And uh, there shouldn't be anyone trying to, like, beat you over the head with, you need to see things the way I see things. Unless you're brand new Buddhist, and then that's kind of part of the course, right? You get so excited, you tend to bore people. <laughs> we get over that soon enough. Um, and the Buddha always said, come and see. Come and, come and look at this. Come and see what's what this is about. And don't, don't take anything because someone tells you it's true. And, uh, you have to, you have to see it for yourself. And so the, the precepts are also helping us develop those qualities of discernment, which when we talk about the ten perfections, discernment is one of them. So that discernment is being able to to know what we see, like if we if we say I perceive something or I have a perception, we need to be clear about what we're seeing. So a perception is just how we see things, and so uh, all of the precepts tie in together to help us to become more discerning about what we are experiencing. So we know the difference, difference between skillful and unskillful and something that's, um, that's good for us and something that may not be good for us. So we're using a combination of all of these things that we talk about when we talk about the precepts. And all of that allows us to then have our own experiences and we can judge from those experiences. And we judge them by thinking, Okay, I did this, this, and this, and then this happened. And is that a good thing? I mean, is that a skillful thing? Were those steps that I took to get something or to be where I am now, did they work? Were they skillful? Did I really, uh, you know, was I, was I honest with myself? And truth, the truthfulness in the ten perceptions is, is very much about Am I actually being honest with myself about what I see, what I perceive, and what I know, and the difference between uh, something that I've experienced and just something I've heard or that someone's told me about? Like I'm not—I don't want 
I have to be very clear about the differences. Uh, during the week, we were we got a little bit sidetracked with a conversation in part of a discussion, not sidetracked, but we were. It, it was talk. Uh, someone asked about nirvana. We it's, it's not really easy or possible to talk about nirvana in a twenty-minute talk, and it's also not easy to talk about it when you don't know what it what it you can't describe it. And there aren't that we don't have those words to describe it. We can read about it, but you can't get the words from that when you even um, read about it. But it was it was an interesting digression because it's the kind of thing that if you want to study about nibbana, you you know we can set up a class to study what the Buddha said about nibbana and the role it plays, and it is the ultimate goal. But it's uh, it's not a it's not something that you can really discuss and talk about with with words. But we can study what the Buddha taught. But the the rest of the teachings of the Buddha are things are pretty practical, down to earth things because we believe in that uh, uh, dependent origination. So things happen because of what happened before, and what happened before, and what happened before. So we know we can look at our lives right now and think, okay, here I am right now. If I'm unhappy in this situation, you know, what led up to it? And then what do I need to do to not be unhappy but to be happy? So we can use all of those teachings of the Buddha about, you know, how we, what we believe about karma, karma or kama and its action and it's happening all the time. And so we can look at that. So all of these things can help us become more truthful and also more discerning. And then, then, our, then the decisions we make become easier to make because all the time we're kind of polishing our stone, you know, that little jewel that we are. And all these things are helping us polish it and uh, see more clearly and see the difference between like the truth and what's not truth and if we're if we have to ever uh, explain ourselves to be able to say even if it's whether it's in a court of law or whether something happens and someone asks us to explain what happened something we were involved in we need to learn that truth is to be being able to explain something about what we did very truthfully. And we know how memory, how shifty memory is. And we know how, and if, if, as you're, if you're, if you're getting older, which <laughs> even, even if you're young, you are getting older. But at a certain point, we really start not trusting our memories very much. You know, the memory that we had when we were younger, we can't, it might be, well, I think, you know, I think I went to see Aishan Brahm yesterday, but then I have to, I have to sort of replay it in my head and make sure that's true. So, uh, the things that we've, the skills we've depended on at one point in our life, then, then later become a skill we can't depend on. So, truthfulness becomes something we want to be very, uh, accurate about and discerning about. And so all those other virtues that we learn with the precepts help us do that. Because then we can be honest, like, I don't remember what, you know, 
who said what or what happened when this event occurred. But those are the kind of skills that we're working with in order to even understand the path and to know how to follow it. So they're not just, uh, I mean, they are, they are the essential part of this basic teaching that the Buddha presented. And so if we're working on the precepts to live a virtuous life, and then we, we're working on the qualities that help us uh, to, uh, work with our speech, so our speech becomes impeccable, and then that becomes, uh, you know, working. Is it the right? Is it the right time to say something? Is it true? Is it beneficial? And is it the right place? You know, we start having all those other filters we need to use for our speech, and that's when we we're working on those ten perfections. All of that is part of this path, and it's. I mean, it's enough, because I was. I, I used to think, well, you know, most people who come to the temple, we'd all say we're honest. We don't. We're we're not liars. We're not. You know, we we would probably say, oh, we're better than seventy five percent of people in the country. But <clears throat> we all see the shape the country's in these days. We don't believe anything that we hear politicians say. We don't believe the news. We don't know who to trust. <clears throat> And that's, that's probably more than any of us have seen in our, in this lifetime, or in our lifetimes right now. I'm sure it's been that way many, many times in the world, but, uh, we see at all levels, and we, if we watch a commercial, we know the stuff that they're saying is not true, that that's there to make us buy things, and that's there to make our economy be lively is that we need to buy a lot of stuff and we need to think we need a lot of stuff. So our whole culture is based on not truce. Not, and the kind of truce that we want to see are the kind of truce that do not get any, uh, don't get too many pats on the back in this culture. And we've, you know, our presidents have told us we need to spend money because it helps the economy. Well, that's, that the economy shouldn't be necessarily what we're concerned about once once we're on this path so we live in a culture that's made up of lies on a good day <laughs> and the rest of the day it might be it might be based on stuff that's a lot worse than that um, but it's the 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 truths that operate to make america strong again are not the truths that we're that the Buddha was teaching us. So we don't need to promote uh, buying and selling, and uh, you know we don't need to have. I hate to say this, but we don't need to have like they. It, we do. We all do this to make money to pay the rent, but we don't need to have the latest, uh, fanciest cushion on the market. Okay. I noticed that the Theosophical Society, which I love, and I love that they, they have a way to keep them afloat, but they had some beautiful uh, the little cushions at the, at the retreat. They're in their gift shop, so they brought them. And they were so, they were so gorgeous. 
And I can't even sit on a cushion. I really wanted one of those beautiful cushions. <laughs> but everybody, that, everybody I saw that would pick them up and go, aren't these incredible? Well, they were like $100, $125 for little cushions because the fabric was beautiful. And you'd see them look at them and get so excited. And I never saw, I mean, they must sell them because they have them there. But everyone I saw would look at the price, kind of, you know, like flip it over to see the price and then just kind of put the cushion back <laughs> real carefully. <laughs> they were so beautiful. <clears throat> I mean, it's good to have a cushion, but we don't need to... We don't need to keep spending our money even buying all this beautiful Buddhist stuff that we see magazines and we see it online and we see it in our gift shop. <laughs> you know, get, get what you need and, 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 and know what you need and know the difference because we, can't, we don't know the difference anymore between what we want and what we need. <clears throat> So that's part of what the Buddha is trying to teach us. We need to know what it is we need, and it's not what we want. But that's, it's very hard in our culture, in most cultures in the world today, to know the difference. And, and the job of our uh, capitalist country, the job of this thing that runs, makes America be what it is, is business, is capitalism. And so what you need and what you want need to be to them the same thing. I'm not trying to get political. This is just... Uh. <laughs> but when we are learning discernment and how to be truthful, it's, it's very important that we know how to be truthful to ourselves about what we perceive and about how we see things and about you know how we put things together, situations and what caused something and where we are because of something, and um, that, that includes that learning the difference between what we want and what we need and how we spend our money. Um, those are really important, uh, they're really important things. And it, sometimes if we have enough money, we, we don't see the importance of it. And in this country, we tend to have enough money. Um, but we might be spending it all in the wrong places. Anyway, part of what we're working on is to be surrounded by virtuous, happy people. And then if we're a virtuous, happy person, those are the people who will be surrounding us because they want to be around us and because we want to be around them. And then we, we can let go of so much fear and so much strain. And we can recognize how much um, how much our busyness you know working hard and being busy and we can also see when we're around those people how the real pleasures in our life become just being simple and virtuous and happy we don't have to entertain ourselves as much we become our own, I think Ajahn Brahm would say this, we become our own entertainment. <laughs> because he, and he talks about meditation, with that that is joy. If you want to have a really good time, learn to love meditation. And then you can just, you know, you can just quickly get into a blissful state. And he talks a lot about 
he, he talks about the jhanas, but I haven't experienced his teaching how to get into them. But I'm sure he would say the first thing is you've got to be drawn to your meditation cushion. You've got to know that when you're meditating, it's you you are you are getting it's becoming more and more a draw, more and more peaceful for you. And if you're peaceful on the cushion, then you can get up and do all kinds of wonderful things. You know, it doesn't mean you have to stop helping people. You don't have to stop making your part of the world a better place. But we find our joy. We'll, we can we can find our joy in simpler and simpler things, and uh, just simple people like us, like happy, joyous people who are who are happy to be virtuous and who know the difference between what we need and what we want and find ways that we can use our money that make us feel good about it. He didn't talk about money at all, but I think I'm, uh, that's, that's where it went for me this morning. But I do want to uh, just encourage you to be, to find joy in your life and happiness. And it doesn't have to be by, uh, you know, if you get Facebook envy, like I, I had to quit being on Facebook. I really couldn't watch any more advertisements or people, you know, going on incredible uh, around the world trips or whatever. Uh, it, it just there was too much negative stuff in it for me, and too much like too much information about people's lives, maybe too. Um, I think we don't have to live those kind of lives we see going on in Facebook all the time to be happy. And if and if we can be really happy just uh just being a good person and and finding it's it it all has a much more serious endpoint which is nibbana. I mean which is you know our ultimate goal is nibbana. And that ultimate goal means we're getting out of, we're getting off this world. You know, we're getting out of this world finally. So it's this world and all, and the way the world operates and the way we live in this world. That's why we keep coming back life after life, minute after minute, because we, we, we want to be on this world. We want to be in this dazzling, this is a dazzling, drama palace of, you know, lust and delight and anger and emotion. That's what this world is. And we still are attracted to it. We still want to keep coming back because I don't want to let go of it. I don't want to give it up. I like all this crap <laughs> this world is. <laughs> and, and that gradual purification of our minds and our bodies and that just it's we're purifying ourselves when we go on this journey and eventually we get really tired of it eventually we don't see the excitement in the drama and the lusty things and the uh angry things you know like war and the the smell of napalm in the morning you know remember that line like the uh those things no longer are the things that, that we get off on. 
Instead, it's we're looking for peace and uh, harmlessness and the, the, the possibility of having living in a harmless, nonviolent world. Well, that's not this world. So what we eventually decide to do is, hey, I'm done with it all. I don't have any need to come back again. And that's, that's, that's our ultimate goal, is to be so done with it. Because that, that's just the, the nature of this world that we live in, is all that drama and all that excitement and all those things that uh, keep us busy from morning to night. And if our ultimate goal is Nibbana, we're always working towards that point where we are just we don't we don't need that anymore to be happy and to be joyful and then we let go of happiness and joy cuz and the things the things beyond that are things we can't even talk about because you know we're not there yet we haven't we haven't experienced it <clears throat> but um we can we can study what the Buddha taught about it, but most of us are not in that place that we're ready to hop off, the, get off the bus. So um, when we talk about precepts, it's a it's a very important thing and it's a beautiful thing. And I just wanted to share with you how Ajahn Brahm reminded me of all that yesterday. Thank you.